everybody, welcome to the Event Industry News Podcast with me, James Dixon, wishing you all a very good morning, afternoon or evening whenever or wherever you join today's podcast from. Earlier this year, Notified released its 2022 benchmark report, highlighting some of the trends in the virtual events marketplace based on user data generated through the company's virtual events technology. I got the chance to talk to Notified's Chief Revenue Officer, Dan Lotsoff, about the report and to ask him to expand on some of the key findings that have been presented within its pages. We joined the conversation as Dan explains that the report wasn't prompted purely by the pandemic-based jump to virtual events, but was in fact started well before things changed so dramatically in early 2020. This report has actually been something that we've been putting together now for about five or six years. So the good news is, is that we have data from before COVID, before everybody had to make that switch in 48 hours. And so what's interesting is to really analyze the data, yes, between what happened in 2020, 21, and now into 2022. But I think it's oftentimes more interesting to look at it. What was it like in 2018 and 2019? Mm. And have, how have we seen the progression since that time frame as well? So the, the reason why we pull this together is because this is an industry that is evolving. I've been in this space now for 13 years. There was a tremendous amount of evolution from 2009 to 2019. And then to your point, there's been, I would say, a 10-year acceleration in the last two years. And so being yeah. able to kind of constantly look at the data as to how these events are performing, how they're changing, how they're improving, how organizations are getting more value out of them, becomes increasingly important and data is the place that we always like to start yes it's, it's, it's interesting i don't uh, there seems to be a sort of a synergy between what we're going to be talking about today and ultimately what digital events and virtual events have given us which is which is more data more statistical analysis of what's happening within um a, a, an event platform and and you know to, to yeah to then have the stats about how people are behaving within those platforms itself I suppose now that you you point it out is is a natural step it's a natural progression yeah absolutely because i think you know anybody that is looking to produce great content needs to look before at what has worked and what hasn't worked and sometimes there's anecdotal stories but the best place to start is if there's scientific data as to what has worked and what hasn't worked and later on we'll get into some of the data from the benchmark where we talk about what days to produce an event on and mm -hmm. you know where organize what's the right time length for somebody to produce different formats and so i just like to start in the data the anecdotal stories and use cases are always important but data is something that everybody can use and if you have it at your fingertips and it becomes much more important to leverage. Sure. Let's get into some of these um, into some of these talking points because, as I said, that they, that they are they've been highlighted in advance of today's podcast for a reason because some of them sort of really stand out. Wednesday and Thursday are the most popular days to host a webinar. I thought that was a brilliant one to kick off with. Yeah. So I mean, listen, this one may seem like a funny answer um, as to why, but I think it's it's pretty telling for all of us. Here I am, Monday morning. And Monday is always a super busy day. It just is jam-packed with meetings. Most organizations schedule most of their internal meetings on Monday because they want to kick off the week and make sure that they share priorities and goals for that week or for that month. Tuesday typically happens to be the overflow of all the meetings and work that we didn't get done on Monday. And so it becomes very difficult to have a tremendous amount of free time on a Tuesday. Then you go to Friday and you say, well, nobody wants to host an event on a Friday because 
you're typically looking at people that are out or it's actually harder to hold their attention. It's been proven that. So that leaves you with Wednesday and Thursday. So I'd, I'd actually say it's more by process of elimination than yeah. necessarily by these are the very best days for some other um, uh, reason. But that that's typically why we see customers do that. And again, the data that we're analyzing is thousands of events that we've done. And those two days have stayed pretty constant, which is interesting pre-COVID as well as post now. So that's something that really hasn't changed based upon you know the, the time frame that you're looking at. Sure. And, and it, you know, on the one hand, yes, it, it seems really obvious. You gave us, you know, you worked your way through the week and loads of people will be nodding their head listening to this going, yeah, that's exactly how it is in my working week. That's exactly how it is in my organization. But saying that, a lot of event professionals work to run events for businesses and organizations who are, they themselves are not event professionals, if that makes sure. sense. I, 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 you know, I, I, can you know give you examples of clients that I've worked with to, to deliver conferences and things like that that and, and the core business that they operate is not in events yep. so just because it seems obvious to us as event professionals may not be as obvious to the actual end clients that we're servicing and working with so our understanding of data like this is important so that we can feed that back to clients well I think James you bring up a really interesting point because there are actually we find multiple audiences that are using this types of technology and running events today. It used to just be event planners. That's who you would think of when you were thinking of, you know, who's going to perform or run my event or organize it. But today you've got folks in the marketing department, you've got people in internal communications, you've got executives. So the, the, the number of different personalities in an organization that are organizing events now has expanded dramatically. And so I think mm -hmm. you're absolutely right that it's really important. Yes, it might be obvious for an event planner who's always run their events on a Wednesday and Thursday, but for marketers that are looking to run demand generation programs, they're also looking at when they can stand out. Now that also means, by the way, that it might be interesting to run your event on a Monday or a Tuesday, or it might be interesting to run your event on a Friday, because if everybody else is running it on Wednesday and Thursday, you're not going to stand out as much. And so then it comes down to, obviously, do you have the content? Can you create the engagement? Is the format of your event entertaining enough to warrant people to skip a meeting or to block sure. off that time in their calendar? Absolutely. Um, on to the next point. And this is, again, a, a, an interesting one here because I've got a question straight off the bat for this point. 77% of webinars include video compared to just 61% in 2019. So that's a 16% increase. Um, factoring in, you know, the pandemic where we had some downtime, you know, okay, we did adopt virtual quite quickly, but there would have been a, you know, a good break in the in, in our operations for a period of time there. 16% is a big jump. Um, when you say video, how are we describing video? Do we mean pre-recorded video content? Do we mean video as you and I are, are sort of talking through this platform now? How, how are we um, defining video? Yes, I mean, I think we define video as the use of video in any format. It could be pre-recorded. It could be live streaming like what we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, it could be a combination of the two. I think what we have all seen and agreed is that, again, the pandemic accelerated people's comfortability with video, whether that's presenters or the audience. Yeah. And now it's kind of almost demanded that the format of content is delivered in, in a video format. You know, it doesn't have to all be live. I just, this weekend, there was a new video that came out about a drone flying towards Wrigley Field where the Chicago Cubs play. Of course, Wrigley Field, going, yeah. 
and then yeah. going through the stadium. And I will tell you this, within five hours, I had 10 different people independently send me the video. It's because it was great content and engaging. There's no way I would have ever received five people or 10 people sending me this uh, link if the content was a picture or if it was just somebody talking through what the experience was. Mm. Video makes the difference. And so I think that's something that has forever changed and will just become expected instead of, ooh, these guys are using video. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. It, it is um, even the term webinar I've, I've picked up on it in the past, you know, sort of six to, to, to 12 months. And I've realized that it was something that was on everybody's radar and was used quite frequently pre-pandemic. And I've noticed that actually the use of the word webinar seems to have dropped off quite heavily since the pandemic, because, you know, what was a webinar? You know, it was a, 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 a seminar taking place online. And as soon as we all adopted Teams, Zoom, Google Meet, whatever it was, and we all started realizing that we could run our businesses and do internal meetings and stuff on there. The term webinar did seem to slip off the radar. I don't know what it, what your experience was like with that, just as a, as, a, as a term and whether or not we can draw any conclusions from that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting one, right? Because <clears throat> you're absolutely right. Pre-pandemic, webinar was primarily audio and this seminar-based experience. And then you'd have to run a webcast if you were going to be using video. It was always funny because people could use those words interchangeably as well. I think today, webinars are extremely important, short form content, um, typically 30 to 90 minutes. They can be highly engaging. They typically focus on one single topic or you know one or multiple speakers for that period of time. Mm -hmm. Virtual events, which is a little bit different, is typically longer format, but it doesn't have to be the multi-day, two, three-day large conference. It could certainly be something that's only a couple hours. The difference, I think, is that it typically covers multiple topics, so you might have a, a few sessions involved in it. One of the things that I think is, is interesting is that you're starting to actually see virtual events become the hierarchy at the top of the hierarchy or at the top of the pyramid, and webinars are actually a subcategory of virtual events or of digital events. And so I think, you know, these words are important, but what we all need to realize is that it's not one size fits all. A webinar can't only be 30 minutes. A virtual event doesn't only have to be two, three days in a conference. They can be different formats and they can be used appropriately. It's more important to start with the goals of your event and then determine the technology, then focus on what technology you're gonna use first and then figure out how to fill out your agenda. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, just to, to make a very brief point that I've, I've touched on before on the podcast, you know, uh, YouTube live or Facebook live, you know, if you, if, if you do a video on there, people can interact with comments in the comment section below and ask you questions to the people or to the person who is, you know, delivering that broadcast at that point, you know, at what point it does a webinar become a video podcast become a youtube yep. live become a whatever i think the whole area is a grade now and effectively what we're just working in now is is a broadcast environment we've got the means got and the technology to to be able to broadcast content exactly like a live tv you know studio would and you know very much in some respects what what we're doing now but just with a pre-record um so it's, it's interesting to see those lines blurring that the next point is, is again a really interesting one live attendance for uh for webinars is up approximately 66 percent in the last two years so this is people who are tuning into it 
as it's actually taking place rather than returning to that content to watch it back, you know, in a pre-recorded version, you know, hours, days, months later. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so I'll say two things on this. One, it's really important to realize that webinars don't replace in-person events. Okay. So mm. just as live physical in-person events are coming back, it doesn't mean that we are going to expect to see drop off in webinars. I think what you're seeing is this is a phenomenal format of content for mm -hmm. delivering to your remote audiences. The fact, the reason that it's gone up so much is because people again want to experience that content the minute it's available. It's just like that Wrigley Field Cubs video, right? 10 people felt the need that as soon as they watched it to send it on to me or to send it on to their friends. Mm. There is some, that's the beauty of an event. An event is a start and a stop time. If it's always just available, then there isn't that demand or that drive to get there. And so that's something that I think organizers, marketers can play on is that they use the fact that it's an event to drive audiences to a specific moment in time. Now, that said, I don't think that the on-demand period is any less important. In fact, I think that's probably the greatest opportunity that most people are not taking advantage of today is that everybody focuses on just getting the content out and then not what is the marketing or promotion schedule to promote that content after it's already been released. Yeah. You've spent so much time and effort on producing that content. Why not leverage it either in the same format or cut it into bite-sized chunks and use it in different types of mechanisms and mediums? But again, live is incredibly important. I think that the on-demand is equally important as well. Yeah, and and we, I know I've seen that with events that I've been part of. You know that 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 content. You know, before before the pandemic, we were all talking about communities and how to build year-round engagement. And you know, historically, annual events, you know, never really got their head around the fact that they had this luxury you know with the internet and with the communication platforms that we have available to, to to maintain content all year round rather than just doing the the traditional sort of six seven week build up to their annual expo that they would do 15 20 years ago um you know and slowly but surely we got our heads around that and and that all ties in now to to the conversations we were having pre-pandemic we all now have to some extent that content available all year round because very few events uh, and uh, whether they're in person or not, will not have some form of digital content available to them now. That, that's absolutely right. And I think that's the the interesting thing is there's this whole dynamic of the, <clears throat> you want to talk about words and definitions, there's this dynamic of a hybrid event. Mm. And so people think that a hybrid event means that you have to live stream from the in-person event to a digital audience. The reality is, is that the definition of hybrid is not that. It can just It just means that you have to provide optionality for your audiences to consume content at different moments in time. Yeah, yeah. When was the last time you went to an event, James, where you registered in person? Most of us register for in-person events online. Well, that's the beginning of a digital experience for you. And so I think you're going to see organizers start to take advantage of the periods before and after the live event yeah. as part of their experience. And it might be easier to deliver those formats in a digital or online version than it is you know, in person, you see, you're seeing that with registration, you see that with the on demand libraries and content that people make available. So I just think these definitions are evolving. And, and it's great to see that organizers, organizers are realizing there's a tremendous amount of value in the lead up to your event. Yeah. And, and again, it reminds me of a point that somebody made um, early last year, actually, which is that we, we've been, we've had hybrid events for years, we've just not been aware of them. 
Anytime exactly. you watch, anytime you watch a, a a sports fixture on TV that's been broadcast live, you know there are sixty thousand people in the stadium watching it. There are three million people at home watching it on TV. You know, a panel of experts will sit in a studio giving you the analysis for the TV audience. Yep. The, peop- the people, the people actually in the stadium don't get that same analysis because they're watching it live. They're, they're experiencing a different stream of content. The two things are happening at the same time with the same content at the core of it, which is the, 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 the fixture, the, the match, whatever it is. But, you know, we, we, we have had these, these experiences for some time. We've just taken yep. a little while to actually get our heads around the fact that we can do that same thing with our business events, with our consumer events, with our experiential marketing. Yeah, exactly. You've nailed it. I mean, I I think about even the sponsorship side, right? There's in-stadium sponsorship, signage, you know, pre-event experiences that take place there. There's completely different sponsorship examples that are in the television format, right? Commercials and and other things that appear for people. We're doing the exact same thing in the B2B space, right? We are focusing on delivering exactly the same experience. And that's the beauty is that there can only be 60,000 people that go to that stadium. There can only be 5,000 people that fill out that conference hall. When you bring it online, the numbers become limitless. And so there's an, uh, an, an entirely new audience that you can attract to your events. And so that's just where, again, this is what gets me so excited. It isn't about the return to in-person events. Yes, there is an emotional swing for people to make those connections and that will never be replaced, but there's just so much more that we can do in the event space than just focusing on just the in-person experience. But before we move on to looking at some of the stats related specifically to virtual events, I've I've got one one more question on on webinars to throw in, which is, do you happen to have any... um, uh, maybe not specific numbers, but an understanding of duration of webinars and whether or not the pandemic has moved people to adjusting the actual uh, duration and length of the the webinars that they're putting out there in general. Because I'm curious to see whether or not they've identified that, as I understand it, you know, people's attention spans are much, much less now. You know, the way that we consume video content, particularly now on YouTube and social media platforms, it's short snippets. Has, Has that you know, been reflected in, in the duration of webinars? Absolutely, right? Now, remember, the webinars that we produce are a wide range of use cases. So continuing education um, webinars are going to typically be longer formats because it's a certification. It's like going to a class. Mm-hmm. But in general, for thought leadership, for marketing, for product updates, you're tending to see shorter format content. And so that typically... I would say is in the 20 to 30 minute range. And the reason is, is that yesterday's tactics are not going to make you successful today. And so while you might've had 500 people or a thousand people attend your webinar in you know 2019 or 2020, mm-hmm. the reality is, is that you're competing for mindshare. And so we need to change the format. We need to reinvent things. We need to focus on the experience. You know, heck, this type of format that even you're doing is great because we're having a, a real-time dialogue with each other and engaging. And yeah, we ha- might have shared, you know, some ideas for topics beforehand, but the reality is, is that the conversation can go in any direction and that's much more interesting and engaging to the audience. And so I think that's what you're also seeing compress 
the the timeline into you know again 20 30 minutes is really the sweet spot now for most audiences outside of again those certification type of classes sure yeah but move, moving things on to, to some of the 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 stats and the analysis that's been done specifically on things that would be termed as virtual events um 78 of events are less than three days long um that that's pretty much you know that that's the majority, isn't it? If we're talking about a large yeah. figure here, seventy-eight percent. We're, we're talking about most events running underneath that sort of duration. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, again, there there may be reasons for longer um, days of content, but it's hard to hold people's you know attention. Um, I, th I think I actually recently wrote a blog about the importance of the agenda. You cannot expect somebody to sit in a chair for eight hours a day for multiple days. Right? It just it just is not going to happen. We all have distractions. We have email. You can't even expect an attendee in person to sit in a chair for that long. They're always staring at their phone as well. So yeah. building in those breaks are going to become really important. But yeah, the average virtual event for us is probably one to two days. And interestingly, to the next point, is that just to recap on what we said about webinars, that Wednesday and Thursday, the most popular uh, day of the week to host a webinar, that when that becomes a virtual event, Tuesday and Wednesday are the most popular days to run that. Um, I'm curious to, to, to know uh, what sort of conclusions you're able to draw from that and why the two differ. Yeah, I think because what happens is that because the event is taking place on average over a long period of time, there's a buildup to the peak. And so what happens is Tuesday is usually the start. And you see this all the time. A lot of events will start on a Monday night or start on a Tuesday night. And then the main day of content is the following day. And so that data really reflects that starting point right. being on a Tuesday and yeah. then kind of bleeding into Wednesday. And then if you need a Thursday, there is a Thursday available. Again, most people are trying to avoid the Monday and avoid the Friday. So that's what leads you to that Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday timeframe. Sure. And and interesting to see that the number of speakers, the average speakers in these virtual events has crept up from six in 2019 to an average of 20 um, when you were compiling this report. I've no doubt that that from my experience of doing them, that's likely to, to continue to rise, maybe a little bit slower rate. Um, but yeah, I mean, my conclusion from that is, is is very much that people want because you have the means to bring more people on board. It gives you a great way of expanding the content that you're delivering and give, giving more choice to your audience. For sure. Well, I think there's two things, right? More content's being delivered now than it was in 2019. So that's just going to lead you to have more speakers. But the other piece is that you're having better types of content like this, where historically might somebody might have given a presentation where it was just one person talking for the entire 60 minutes. Now you might have two people presenting together and they might be doing it in 30 minutes. So all of a sudden you went from one to four just right there in one hour. Those are the types of, of experiences and shifts that you're starting to see. I think you're going to start to see more and more presentations. I mean, again, just look at television, whether it's BBC or CNN or any newscast, right? It's rarely one person on screen for longer than two, three minutes at a time. We're not quite there yet for events and for webinars, but I think you're going to get there very quickly. Well, that, that, that's a, a great point to raise about news channels, because the other thing that... Uh, on, on news channels that you get bar none. There is no news channel that doesn't do what I'm about to describe here, which is the newscaster on screen delivering whatever the item is, 
whilst there is a ticker tape rolling across the bottom with three or four or five different news stories, plus breaking news in the top right-hand corner that's just, just come in. If you look at a, a news channel at any given moment, you are probably being exposed to three, sometimes four different strands of content. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that's only going to continue. And and that's where, from a technology standpoint, those are the types of things that we're looking at as to how do you bring those tools and mechanisms into the content, into the broadcast, without making it distracting, but offering more from an engagement standpoint to your audience. And so mm-hmm. even some simple things like showing what topics are going to be covered next will hold people's attention. Because if I know that in 10 minutes time, you're going to be talking about this topic, I might stay and sit through the next two. And so again, you're going to get me more engaged for two more topics versus just leaving because I don't know what's coming in the future. And so again, we, we know what is needed to be done because television is already doing this in a fantastic format. We just mm-hmm. need to adopt that, if you will, into the B2B space. And and I'm gonna not go off topic. This is this is a you know a a, a, a side sort of tangent ever so slightly that um when you look at the content that's delivered by speakers, you know, you get somebody, you invite somebody to deliver a session at your virtual event and they prepare a PowerPoint presentation or a, a keynote file or a Google Slides, whatever platform they're using. And and they are still very much treating it as if they were going into a, a theater or a seminar theater somewhere with a big screen and a lectern. And there is my presentation file, load it up and I'm going to talk about what's on the screen behind me. And they want to share their screen and you have the... Sp- uh, you know, we have these sophisticated event platforms now yep. whereby we could be so much more creative with how the content that's being created by our speakers could be then delivered. And I go back to the sort of the, the news channel uh, reference with the ticker tape and things like that. You know, if, if we got these uh, files in advance and they had a slide with, you know, two or three key statistics on there, well, why not have it coming up at the bottom as a lower third? Why not have it coming in as an overlay rather than just having to do a screen share of somebody's PowerPoint? I still think there's a level of creativity that we can explore. Absolutely. I mean, I, I have wanted to just haven't found the time myself for my next internal presentation to do the entire presentation with no slides and only graphics overlays, yeah. right? Just, yeah. you know, basically build them into the presentation. I think that people oftentimes say you're doing a presentation and the first thing they do is they go build a PowerPoint deck. Instead, what they should do is they should write a script. Just like, again, television, you yeah. would write the script for the show and then you would figure out what assets are best used to deliver yeah. that content. Maybe a PowerPoint slide is great. Maybe it's a pre-recorded video. Maybe it's a graphic overlay. Maybe it's a guest speaker, right? We should just bring in these different formats into our script, not start with a deck. Brilliant. I, I like that. And that, that right, that, let's note that straight away as a key takeaway today. Start with the script rather than the deck, because you, you, you're exactly right. You know, I, I've I've seen that before when you're building a script for award ceremonies, which I've worked on, you know, a lot in the past. You know, you look at the script, and you think, right, they're referencing X, Y, Z. What do we need to re- put on the screen? What content do we need to put on there whilst they're talking about that? Do we need to have something on the screen? You know, look at what the person's talking about and then see how is best to support it. Because it goes back to that classic distraction in in live events of death by PowerPoint. You know, the person's talking and all they're doing is relaying everything that's on the screen. And, you know, people quickly tune out unless... You know, the, the, their attention is being kept at all points. Yeah. Um, so, the, yeah, the, the creativity element is something that um, I think we all need to, to, to be a bit smarter on, given 
the platforms that we now have available to us and what they can potentially do. I think we've only scratched the surface really of how we can, how creative we can be um, with some of the, the virtual event platforms. Um, let's look at the addition of gamification because again, something that people will be familiar with, um, I'm sure, either in a small way or they really have used it, you know, as a, as a key part of their process. The addition of gamification to virtual events increases attendee engagement. Approximately 112 million minutes were spent playing in-event games during the study period. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Now, this is a, a great stat, and it's one that I think is important because people tend to think that gamification is purely for fun and entertainment. And the reality is, yes, that's where it starts, right? It started at sales kickoffs. It started at conferences where you had the passport and you had to go around to all the booths. But the interesting thing for organizers of events is that gamification helps connect what you deem as an important action or activity in your event with the audience. And so we have to find ways to deliver, again, content in different formats. So maybe it is watching a keynote session and then going and playing a game where the questions are about what was just covered in the keynote mm -hmm. to re-emphasize the information that you just learned about. Or maybe it's just there for a break because our brains need five minutes of downtime between you know two sessions and you can't expect somebody to shift from one deep topic where they were incredibly immersed to another one without some kind of you know break in the action and so i think that's why you're seeing games as so important again the other thing that the data i don't know if it called out in the benchmark but that is also something that is important regardless of the level of the individual in an organization it isn't that oh this works for you know a mid-level manager and doesn't work for somebody in the VP and above. We found, in fact, the engagement levels at the VP and above level and gamification are, are sometimes even higher than they are for other parts of the organization. And so I think that's an, another important um, component of gamification. Yeah. And, and again, uh, you, you've got me thinking now, my brain's in overdrive now about how we can learn from, from news channels. But I, I know for a fact that once a week on the BBC website, they they produce the you know the news quiz and basically yep. it's, it, it it's it's an online quiz asking you questions about what's happened in the news that week and you know subtly it's a great way for you to read the news on their website every day because at the end of the week you take the quiz and see what you can remember about it and again when i reference that into the context of what we've got available to us now you know virtual event platforms you know you guys have got gamification built in there's q a there's audience polling all of that you know the the, the chat functions how easy is it realistically to program a, a quiz about somebody's session when you've got that session in advance you can see what content is on their slides to go back to the the powerpoint discussion you know how how easy would it be to create a quiz the answer is probably quite easy you know okay yeah. it might take somebody an hour to do that but is it going to be worthwhile content i think so you know Absolutely. Absolutely. And it doesn't have to be long format, right? It could be three questions just to prove that, you know, somebody read the answers and you start to build this behavior into people's minds that there might be a quiz afterwards. There might be this, you know, fun test and people will pay attention. And again, as the organizer, then you get more out of your event as well because people are engaged and they're watching your content. Yeah. And and again, I don't know what what um, what it's like over over in the USA compared to here, but we have in, in many different industries over here, they will have to undertake something called CPD, con continued professional development. And that is in 
all manner of industries. It could be architecture. It could be, you know, highways engineering. You know, if you are qualified and you work in that particular sector, then you're expected to meet a, a minimum amount of CPD hours per year in order to show that you're continuing to, to progress professionally. Um, and I think that gamification with virtual events is a great way in the right circumstance and in the right industry to actually be able to, at the end of somebody's participation in a virtual event, qualify that they have learned something from it and that they qualify maybe for, you know, CPD points. Again, I don't know if you have an equivalent over in the States, but, you know, these would be really, really quick, easy wins for people to, to demonstrate that their audience have learned something. Absolutely. And we have the same thing, whether it's CPD or CPE, continuing professional education, legal has different ones. Um, so it, it's and and by the way, how many people look forward to taking those classes today? <laughs> not many. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but can we make it a little bit more interesting and engaging? Right. I'm not saying that somebody's going to you know call it the best part of their week ever. Yeah. But maybe it doesn't have to be the worst part either. And they can do that by making the content and the format a little bit more um, educational, but also entertaining at the same point in time. Sure. Yeah. What, 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 um, when this was compiled, I should ask really how long it took to produce the report, because, you know, I've, I've got the PDF here in front of me and, you know, we're, we're talking not just a few pages here. This is a significant sized document with a lot of information. We've scratched the surface about this. 31 pages. Um, what, when was the start point for this and, what, and you know, what, what prompted it? Yeah, it, it, it certainly takes a couple months. And, you know, I think the interesting piece is that we talk about in-person events and the lack of data. You move things online and almost you have the opposite. You have too much data. Yeah. And so now it becomes about, you know, siphoning through it and trying to understand what is really going to be impactful and interesting to look at and, and anecdotal. And then you have your, your comparisons. And so it does take us about three, four months to produce the actual report itself. Mm -hmm. And then obviously put it into a format that's digestible for, for different audiences. So um, it's, it's quite a journey. You know, again, as I mentioned, we started this about five, six years ago. It's something that we like to produce once every year and, and then be able to look back at some of the previous year's data as well. And, and it's, it, genuinely i mean people may think well what's he talking about but genuinely i think it's going to be fascinating to look at some of this data the last two years seems to have gone by really 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 quickly i'm sure that loads of people listening to this today who would nod and say that they feel exactly the same thing and i remember sitting on this podcast after a, a few months break you know in the, at the height of the pandemic and coming back behind the microphone and talking about new virtual event platforms and hybrid events and people were just starting to do stuff again and it, it just seems like yesterday and now we're in a, a really great position where we can actually look back at that first period um if you call it that from you know post pandemic and and actually be able to reflect on on those habits on those changes and i think it will be fascinating to to look at reports like this you know once a year to see how those statistics uh, statistics have changed and you know how good would it be if you and i you know in a year year to the day do the same thing and we look at what we've talked about today and say how does it compare has it gone up has it gone down um because i th still think we don't truly know how this is going to go in the short and medium term no, not at all. Right. And I'll be the first to say, you know, we have ideas and strategies as to how we think things will unfold. But the reality is, is that what we can do is put the technology in people's hands and then watch how they use it. And that's the beautiful part of this. I mean, we had a customer years ago that was using broadcast our broadcasting platform 
for runway shows. And what they were actually doing was showing their store managers how to dress mannequins <laughs> and be able to meet who the original designers were instead of just the box of clothes showing up in their store and then reading a pamphlet and instructions and having no connection back to the original designer. And so that was not a use case that we came up with, right? We would never think to invent that. We, in, we bring up the tool and the technology and then we watch how people deploy it. And so that's what's exciting and where I think the market will go is we need to continue to focus on the engagement elements of the technology, making it easier to use, to your point, not always being so reliant on PowerPoint, and then watch how people leverage the technology. And benchmark reports are great because they show that evolution, and it doesn't always have to be about increasing. It can be about certain things decreasing, like the amount of time that people are um, hosting sessions for. Mm. And uh, what's our final our final takeaway today? It's got to be what I said earlier. Start with the script, not with the deck. Yes, if you, love if it. You, if you learn one thing from Dan being on this podcast today, it's that. If you're delivering a, a virtual event or anything online, that's the way to go. We've been talking on the Event Industry News podcast today to Dan Lotsoff. Jan, Dan is the Chief Revenue Officer at Notified and has joined us very kindly early on a Monday morning, his time from Chicago uh, in the USA. Um, Dan, if people want to get in touch with you guys, find out more about Notified, get a copy of this report, tell us how they go about finding you and how they can engage with you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first off, James, thank you very much for having me on this morning. It's been great. I really enjoyed the discussion. If anyone would like to see the benchmark report or find out more information, the best place you can go to is notified.com. Um, you can also email me. My email is daniel.lotsoff, L-O-T-Z-O-F, at notified.com. Always available. Love to have discussions with people, learn about what use cases you're doing. But again, the best place for information is going to be on our website at notified.com. Fabulous. And um, we'd love to hear from our podcast followers and listeners about your own experiences with virtual events and with webinars um, in the last 18 months, but also post or pre-pandemic, you know, as, as Dan said earlier on in, in this episode, this is not something new. This is not something that came about you know, purely uh, and, and from ground zero because of, of COVID. Yes, it expedited the process, but this this was all underway pre-COVID. We, we shouldn't forget that. And we'd love to hear about people's experiences of, of running webinars and virtual events, not just in the last two years, but over the last five, six years. How have you done it? Have you been creative with that whole process? Do get in touch with us. You can do that via eventindustrynews.com, our website. If you head over there, if you're listening to today's podcast via your audio platform, go to eventindustrynews.com. You'll be able to find how to get in touch with us and whilst you're there you can also check out some of the latest news features supplements special features that are on the website as well as the a to z supplier directory regardless of where you are in the world if you are looking for a supplier or a service and it's event related go to eventindustrynews.com and search that a to z supplier directory for what you are looking for if you are already there and you're already on the website at the moment and you're watching this video version of the podcast thanks very much for joining in everybody it's been a pleasure to have you aboard as always don't forget to go in the opposite direction and if you want to listen to audio versions of all the podcasts whilst you're out and about you can download some you can tune into them once a week as we publish them but go to wherever you get your podcasts from hit subscribe and you'll get all the latest editions of the podcast as they drop so it brings us to the end of today's episode our thanks once again to mr dan Lotsoff from notified for joining us today from chicago my name's james dixon and i very much look forward to seeing you on the next edition of the event industry news podcast thanks everybody